Welcome, and thank you for joining Speak Up for Safer Care. Speak Up for Safer Care is a product of Safer Care Texas, the patient safety division at the University of North Texas Health Science Center in Fort Worth, Texas. Our mission is to challenge traditional thinking to eliminate preventable harm. Speak Up for Safer Care illuminates gaps in care, process, or design that lead to preventable harm in all healthcare settings. I'm your host, John Sims, Director of Safer Care Texas, and joining me is our co-host, Leanne Cunningham, Strategic Operations Assistant Director. Good afternoon, John. Listeners, thanks for having us again today. Today is a special episode, Episode 6, Why Stopping the Line May Not Work, Part 2. I was just fixing to say, don't forget to say, Part 2. Part. That's right, Part 2. Um, if you haven't listened to that podcast, I highly encourage you to go to our Safer Care Texas YouTube channel, Facebook, or LinkedIn, and, and listen to part one. It was wonderful, and that's why we decided let's have this part two uh, so we can continue this um, insightful discussion. So welcome, Ray Gonzalez. Ray's background includes 42 years working in or with high-reliability organizations, beginning in the nuclear power industry. His last 28 years focused on improving safety, efficiency, and profitability through enhancing human and organizational performance. Ray is the owner and president of Hope Consulting, LLC, which stands for Human and Organizational Enhancement. Performance Enhancement. Performance Enhancement. Excuse me, listener. H-O-P-E, John. (laughs) It it takes a whole team to (laughs) mitigate errors. Thank you. Um, Some notable accomplishments uh, include coaching to enhance performance, specialized coaching that received tremendous results in the U.S. electrical, chemical, and oil and gas industries, and trigger training, a proactive approach to human error production. So, Ray, thanks for coming back another week. Really appreciate it. Let's get started. Seems like it was just just moments ago that we saw you. It does. It really does. (laughs) Uh, um, Before I hand it over to to Leanne, just just to kind of – Briefly recap, last week we discussed some potential harms that might occur in a nuclear power plant. Uh, We also talked about error precursors, and Ray gave us some examples. And so, again, I refer you back to our YouTube channel, Facebook, and LinkedIn to listen to Episode 5 and uh, Part 1 of Why Stopping the Line May Not Work. And I just want to encourage you, our listeners, to go back and listen to the YouTube channel, Part 1, because this this podcast has something for everybody. I'll be very honest. When I started the podcast, I was a little concerned as to how I was going to bring value to the conversation. I don't have any experience with nuclear power plants. But being able to have the conversation open and talk about how it correlates with everyday activity and healthcare has it it's it blows my mind, to be honest with you. You did mention earlier in, in podcast number one, we talked about why stopping the line may not be the the optimum thing to do. And I meant to ask you, could you define for our listeners, what do you mean when you say stop the line? Stop the line is more of a medical term. In other high-risk industries, it's called stop work authority. Okay. So in other industries, uh, stop work authority, if they do it properly, they will stop the job, they will put the work in a safe condition, then they will back away from what they're doing and they will contact their supervisor. Uh, However, stop the line in medical may look different. 
And it really is going to boil down to the circumstance that they find themselves in. Um, for example, uh, if, if uh, we're stopping the line in the middle of a surgery, what would that look like? Well, um, probably a pause with collaboration to try to identify the answers to questions that may pop up. The only reason we're stopping anything is because our questioning attitude is fired off. Now, whether that comes from the head nurse or the anesthesiologist or someone else, um, that question needs to be addressed. And so in healthcare, what would it look like if we were in the middle of a surgery to stop the line? A lot of collaboration, good discussion done in a timely and efficient manner to get back on track to ensure patient safety and quality care. So, Ray, one of the other things that um, that we wanted to uh, touch on is we, you know, we we agree that um, humans are going to commit errors. It's it's going to happen. It's innately in us. I think you you uh, referenced a study that said that we commit three to seven an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but when in a, it, it's how that error is managed that matters, especially in healthcare, and so. How is – when an error occurs in, in a nuclear power plant or the nuclear power industry, how, how is it managed? How does that handle usually? And I would love to talk about that. And before we jump in there, I kind of felt like we left off the other conversation talking about the normalization drift. of deviance, which we look at sometimes as called drift. Drift. I, yeah. And, and we were talking about drift being uh, the difference or the delta between work as imagined, which is the high uncompromising expectations and standards you want for patient safety or quality care, and work as it's actually conducted or actually performed. We call it work as done. And there's a gap there. There's a difference. The lower the gap or the lower the bar for work as done, the closer it puts you to error or other undesirable events. So it's incumbent upon um, management actually to ensure that we're pushing drift back up to the standards, the high uncompromising standards that we expect every day in personal, I'm sorry, in patient safety or quality care. Uh, And that comes with observing the work, providing good feedback, and ensuring uh, that we're communicating, collaborating on ensuring those standards are met. So I wanted just to make sure we close the gap on that work, uh, that word called drift, because it's used in high reliability operations and organizations, and it's talked about a lot. If you read books, you will come across drift at some point. So the error precursors in the descriptions that you mentioned in our, po- our earlier podcast, they mm-hmm. kind of fit in that drift as well. It's up to management to make sure that we don't have that time pressure, that we are aligned with our workload? Well, um, error precursors exist all the time, anywhere, in any industry. Okay. Okay. Um, but uh, so those are local factors or local conditions that can influence and drive error. Um, drift is, is really... Uh, worker performance done with good intentions, trying to be trying to optimize their work and be efficient to get things done. And we may take shortcuts and have no negative result. And if we and if we take that shortcut and we have no negative result, then it becomes the new standard, a lower a standard, right? Okay. And that's the drift that we're talking about. So it is incumbent upon management to see that shortcut or that drift and make sure we push it back up to the higher standard, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, so what it sounds like is everybody in an organization 
has to have that same culture so that the standard is permeated throughout all layers, including the executive leadership, mm-hmm. not not just the people doing the work, but the people who are saying this, we have to do the work. A- absolutely, absolutely, because really culture is shaped by the uh, by the head of the organization. Um, in fact, there's an Asian proverb out there that says, uh, "When a fish rots, it begins at the head." And what it's referring to is the possibility that if you look at it from an organization, if the organization is failing, it's because of what's happening and what what behaviors are accepted, what normal what normalcy is accepted in the organization that could be of a much lower standard, driving productivity down, driving morale down, doing all those things that can really just decimate an organization. So it's incumbent upon the senior leaders and the management team to ensure they're shaping the behaviors and the organization that they want in a you know, proper organization, proper work. Right? And I would, I would add that the people doing the work mm-hmm. – are the experts mm-hmm. when it comes to that work that's being done. And it's incumbent on the executive leadership to listen. That's another mm-hmm. high reliability organization principle, yeah. deference yeah. to expertise. Yeah, absolutely. And not only listen, but actually take what they are seeing in terms of weaknesses within the organization and ensure that those weaknesses are robust because only management has um, the authority to provide the resources, financial or otherwise, to change policies or change processes or, in, or put in new equipment or do whatever's needed to ensure that the organization has, is strong and robust. It's, it's that two-pronged approach again that we talked about. And so, yeah, I thank, thank you for, um, for bringing us back to, to Drift. It's been a week since, you know, my mind was a little cloudy. Um, but can we, can we go back to how an error is, is managed in a, in a nuclear power setting? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about that. Because I'll tell you that it's all about learning and sharing. Um, in the commercial nuclear industry, I think, you know, uh, due to, um, well, it's, it's their philosophy that you can't know everything and you don't know what you don't know, especially if errors are occurring. In other words, it boils down to error reportability. Right. And providing enough psychological safety Ooh. for people to come uh, to come forward with those errors or near misses that have actually not um, that that have occurred. OK, uh, so that management can learn and correct anything that may have gone astray, you know, astray at that point. Um, so in, or, in order to have that and, and in the commercial nuclear power, they realize that they don't know everything. So they do not hesitate to reach out for help. They have benchmarked many different industries uh, to see best practices and see how it could be applicable in, 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 the, in the world of commercial nuclear power. Um, anytime uh, – and I've seen this before – anytime there's been something novel and new as a problem – We've reached out to peers throughout the organi- uh, throughout the industry. We don't keep it to ourselves. We reach out to them for help and support. And anytime we have events that are undesirable, we even share those through proper reporting, and we call it operating experience, so that other people can learn from our mistakes. If that makes sense, right? You know, right? I like that I, idea. I, well, I got to tell you, Safer Care Texas is working on that very thing right now as we speak with our HSC Health clinics. We're building um, a uh, event reporting system, um, 
And our next step, this fiscal year, we're going to have the first, uh, the nation's first uh, AHRQ, which is Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Um, Certified. Listed. I wanted to say certified, but listed patient safety organization. And that's the purpose of that patient safety organization is so that you have to have that just culture Mm -hmm. because the event reporting system, if nobody's putting in events, you can't study and learn from them. Exactly. Right? But then other medical offices can then learn from mistakes that where we've had to go in and change the process or the system that led to that so it doesn't get repeated and occur somewhere else. Great. I, I, yeah. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, so, I'm liking all this collaborative opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about just culture because yeah, just culture is not necessarily a no-blame culture. Most of okay? it. Okay. It, it, it is really all about a fair and equitable approach across the line on how we treat things like errors and near misses uh, so that we can foster learning in the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's time for a quick little story. Um, I was um, so I was at an organization where they wanted to put out a a a, com, a, a no a no blame policy. In other words, bring us your errors, report your errors or near misses, and we will uh, we will not you will not be in trouble. Um, we want to learn from these mistakes. We can't learn unless we know what they are. And so we put forward this policy. And I actually helped management to kind of craft it and make sure it was worded well. So everybody, it was a big campaign. Everybody knew it. And we were just about to start. Um, this is in the commercial nuclear industry. We we're just about to start what's called an outage. An outage is a period of, of days, maybe 30 days, maybe 45 days, where uh, the power plant will completely shut down. And uh, or at least one of the units, if it's multi-units, will completely shut down and they will begin to do preventative maintenance work. Uh, They'll do some testing. They'll do repairs and they'll get it all operational again and ready to run another year or 18 months because they run a very long time. They start them up and they don't turn them off for an entire year or 18 months. That's a lot of reliable electricity that's flowing. So we were getting into an outage, and the campaign was for all the outage workers that were coming so they would know that if there's an error, we have a no-blame policy. Well, what happened was is in the midst of all of this work, we had a couple of carpenters who were actually building a wooden uh, staircase, uh, like a little bridge, over some large stainless steel piping that surrounded a large water tank. Um, and instead of using sawhorses to put their boards on to do their cuts, they put the the boards on some of the pipe and some oh. and somebody else held on to it. Oh, no. So as they were cutting, they nicked one of the pipes. You could tell because sparks flew. Oh. So they stopped. They did the right thing. They stopped um, and they contacted their boss, their foreman. And then that foreman talked to the liaison for the company and said, okay, we had an error, and the guys didn't hesitate to stop and report because they heard about the no-blame thing. Well, unfortunately, when it, when, it, when it was reported to the company, the company fell back into their traditional way of thinking. It's your fault. And they immediately let them go. They fired them on the spot. And I was discussing this case as a case study in the very first management course for human performance for managers. Um, because I was one of the coordinators at that station. And I was describing the blame cycle. It's a cycle that talks about, hey, if you unjustly blame someone, you're going to squelch reporting and you won't know what's going on. That's just a fundamental description. Um, After I brought up this case study, the uh, highest manager in the class stood up and said, 
that was me. And I thought my career was over because <laughs> I didn't know what he was going to say next. Uh, and he says, uh, okay, so I want to stop here and I want to tell everybody that was me. I made the decision to fire those guys. And really, I'm, now I'm sweating bullets. I really didn't know what was coming next. But what he said was, he goes, I never understood the blame cycle like Ray just put together here. And I never understood the impact that our decisions could have in this regard. Um, so I will never make that mistake again. And he mm -hmm. thanked me right in front of everybody. And boy, you talk about a sigh of relief. I was you know, relieved that he wasn't upset with me or something like that. And he was dedicated because he was such a visionary. He was dedicated toward improving and learning from mistakes. So I share that quick story because you have to have a good, strong culture uh, that, that, that is based in safety. And then you have to have that just culture to handle those times when things don't go the way we think. Ray, um, I, I appreciate you sharing that story as well. And I'm really impressed with how um, the manager was was vulnerable and transparent. That speaks volumes. Um, I'm a little – so we talk about just culture is not a blame-free culture because there is accountability. And it sounds like in that story, somebody did some – those two carpenters did something that was knowingly unsafe. Right, they did not use uh, sawhorses. Instead, put it on this pipe. But possibly, you know, use the word knowingly is subjective. You know, hindsight bias comes into play here. You I know. don't know that they should have been terminated. Of course, right. I'm not in that industry, and right. But I don't know that they should have been terminated. I do uh, some other training. Some they they needed to be held accountable for that. And well, I'm, I'm going to share the healthcare example. And when I say this, you're going to say, yeah. That person needed to be fired. Um, once upon a time, I worked in an intensive care unit, and everybody that came at that time, this was a long, long time ago, had to have a nasogastric tube to decompress their stomach. And there was an individual who um, had refused, and a nurse had gotten up on the bed, put her knees on the patient's shoulders restrained his wrists and forcibly inserted the tube. Now, that's knowingly unsafe. That's patient assault. And that's a terminatable offense. Wouldn't you agree? I don't know enough about it, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it doesn't right. sound right for no, sure. I just don't want her to be or him to be my nurse. I'm just saying. <laughs> right. So, and, and that's my point is that there are, there, there's. There can be extenuating circumstances. Well, and there, and yeah. there, it's equitable. Right. Accountability. Right. So you apply the same to everybody, but you do encourage reporting because you want to learn because there's a lot of errors that occur that the person who discovered it was following the proper procedure, right? But it still led to an error. Yeah. So we want to hear about that. So let me just say this about that. Um, although the nurse may have taken things to an extreme, I don't know the rest of the story. Um, I don't know what drove that behavior. Anytime there's behavior that just seems like leaves you scratching your head, like wondering why were they doing that, I always ask, what's driving that behavior? You have to know the background. Was it malicious? Was it was it spiteful? Was it in neglectful? Or or really was it an emergency situation that had to be done? Uh, you know, I don't know. Same thing with the carpenters. Don't know what's what drove that behavior. Was it a lack of sawhorses that were available? Was it a lack of 
communication? Was it no oversight that was being provided while they did their work? Because leadership presence in any environment, in any work environment, is so critical to maintain those high, uncompromising standards we were talking about and making sure drift doesn't apply. So, um, you know, it's it's difficult to say one way or the other sure. without without really knowing all the circumstances, and that's really kind of all I'll Oh, sure. Yeah, I get it. And and my my point is uh, accountability does not have to be a terminal accountability. Right, right, right. Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. So – and after you've gone through the root cause analysis, what drove you to make this decision? There's there's lots of different reasons like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Maybe there were no sawhorses. Yeah. You know, and they were Maybe pressured. they just thought it was a big steel pipe and it wasn't going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? I, I'm just, 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 just throwing it out there. Well, you know, one other thing that I know you and I had talked about, John, was um, the supervisor's responsibility for understanding their um, – their crews or their teams um, on an everyday basis. And that's one of the things we did in uh, commercial nuclear power uh, very well. Um, Back in the day, I believe we called it behavioral observation. And what we trained supervisors to do was to, uh, the moment that they greet their teams or their crews coming into work, um, they begin to look and determine um, the fitness, if you will, uh, of them for conducting work today. Mm. Now, obviously, they need to be fit for duty. You know, we have really high standards on, you know, drug or alcohol use, stuff like that. But that there's more to it than that. I mean, are they mentally prepared? Are they fatigued? Um, are, are they so? So a supervisor would, you know, greet the team, and if he saw someone that was a little different or despondent or sad or just distant or whatever, they would approach them to find out what is what's going on today. Are they fit for actually? working today uh, because you never know I mean they could have been up all night with a with a with a rebellious teenager or you know or, or they could be fatigued after working um, doing something outside of work and then coming to work you know we don't know the story so that's one thing that I know helped quite a bit in the commercial nuclear industry because um, when you look at healthcare um, we still probably have work to do in terms of fatigue rules and the amount of time we uh, Especially during the pandemic. Yeah, schedule yeah. Uh, people to do work, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I was going to say, episode one with, with Jessica, um, you call it behavioral observation. Mm-hmm. Same, we call it human frailty. Mm, good. Uh, you know, but the same scenario. Did you get any sleep? Did you get in a fight with your, mm-hmm. with your teenager? Thank you for clarifying that because I was going to ask you to, to mm-hmm. remind our audience what, what you call it from a healthcare perspective because I know we have it because we actually talk about it and you practice it within our department as well. So, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, I just want to ask this question, which is what healthcare factors prevent adopting nuclear power plant safety standards? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I don't think there should be any reason for not adapting similar safety standards. And what I mean by that is um, they have to be customized, obviously, for the healthcare industry. Um, uh, healthcare is highly complex, um, you know, highly coupled work. There's, you know, you talk about, you know, uh, uh, high reliability organizations, you know, and high reliability operations. Um, so, the thing I would say is that in order to have additional success uh, requires collaboration with the social uh, science and social safety uh, 
people as well as healthcare. Uh, in fact, um, I, I recently read a book called Still Not Safe. Uh, I, I know I've recommended it to you, John. It gives a great history of the patient safety movement, where we came from, you know, what happened, and, wh and how we have stalled out over the years. Mm -hmm. um, and they talk a lot about that in that, you know, um, it, the, it, I think we could all have more success. And, you know, as a, as a consumer of healthcare, this is what I want. That's me too. Yeah, I want I want much more success in healthcare. I would love to see the numbers go way down in terms of sentinel events and other Absolutely. you know other things that may occur. So um, not only can uh, you adopt uh, other types of safety standards that are similar to nuclear power, uh, but but if we do adopt them, then we can't do it superficially. For example, like. When we uh, here in healthcare, when we adopted checklists and other things, what were we focused on? We were focused a lot on individual behavior, individual performer behavior, as opposed to looking at that second prong I keep talking about, the, the robustness of the organization, which is totally within management's responsibility to ensure proper controls, barriers, safeguards are in place to minimize any kind of high risk to patient safety. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think... Um, there's lots of good things that can come out of uh, looking at and sharing and and benchmarking ideas within commercial nuclear power. Um, I, I did a presentation, a grand round, about a glowing resemblance between medical and commercial nuclear power because we have so many similar mm -hmm. techniques and, and, and we share a very common responsibility, and that is public safety, right? Public safety is number one. Uh, core value for the commercial nuclear industry, and I'm hoping that is the same, and it must be for healthcare. It is. The outcomes are vastly different, unfortunately. Um, I don't have the graphic in front of me, but I did. Um, I, I shared it with you prior to this podcast about there's a there's a graph that shows the number of fatality, um, the number of encounters rather for a fatality to occur in nuclear power. And conversely, the number of encounters in healthcare before a fatality occurs, and healthcare is way behind the mark. And so, if if we have we we all have the responsibility of public safety and in healthcare patient safety, um, we can learn a lot from the way nuclear power um, does things. The other thing I wanted to mention was that Ray is a very avid reader. Um, I, ha I now have three books that I need to read <laughs> that Ray has recommended. I'm very thankful for. Um, I'm just hoping you're going to share so I don't have to buy my own. I'm going to share with the entire department. I think they'd be interested, most definitely. Well, I'll, I'll say this, um, this also about um, how I view healthcare and the future because even reading the book, Still Not Safe, they kind of left you with four different possibilities of, where There's the, always options. Uh, yeah, of what the future may hold. Mm -hmm. but, but here's what I believe, and I sincerely mean this. Um, if I had a crystal ball and I could see the future, I could see where the healthcare industry would be leading the way in human and organizational performance. Um, I could see that easily. And the reason is, is because of the high level of professionalism, knowledge, expertise within this industry. Um, that's, that's a huge benefit as compared to other high-risk industries uh, in terms of education and knowledge. Um, so I really do feel like at some point, um, healthcare could lead the way. Plus, um, the fact that the, the oath in healthcare 
first do, do no, no harm, harm right mm-hmm. um, is just it resonates right with um, the healthcare professional and that's more than likely the reason they are in that profession is to really provide that quality care um, again it boils down to really public safety and we just need to kind of get everybody around that understanding how that's tied together first do no harm quality care public safety that they're all tied together meaning the same thing and we have a lot of work to do in that area we do most definitely i do want to say again for part two thanks ray for coming and sharing your knowledge and expertise with us again today again thank you to all of our listeners if you didn't listen to podcast the prior one this past week please go to part one of this podcast and then catch up with podcast part two Um, We want you to speak up for Safer Care. Speak up for Safer Care Texas is a product of Safer Care Texas, which is the patient safety division at the University of North Texas Health Science Center here in Fort Worth. We'd like to thank our technical producer, Rob Upchurch, for helping us with this podcast. And we encourage you, our listeners, to speak up. Become an advocate for yourself, your family, and your colleagues. If you're a healthcare worker, a counselor, a subject matter expert, a former patient, or a caregiver, if you have a patient safety story that you'd like to share, please keep it HIPAA compliant and we'd be happy to talk with you. You can touch base with us through our website, safercaretexas.org. Also, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Safer Care Texas. Please tune in to our podcast next week where we'll talk with Dr. Jeff Beeson about managing psychological stress during emergencies. Thank you again for listening, and always speak up for Safer Care.